0: Welcome to the Maritime Podcast. You're listening to Marcus Hand, editor of Sea Trade Maritime News. And today we are in conversation with Jan Olaf Prost, business director, container ships with leading classification society, DNV. And we are going to be talking about a wide range of topics related to the container shipping market. Welcome to the Maritime Podcast, Jan Olaf. Yeah, hello, Marcus. Nice to meet you. Thanks for taking the time to join us. I'm sure there's lots of interesting things our listeners can learn from you today. I'd just like to kick this off with the current state of the market. As we know, we are seeing some of the best container shipping markets in a very long time. And with that, a surge in new building orders. With that, I thought it would be good, Jan Olaf, if you can explain to our listeners what trends you see from DMV in terms of size, fuel options and so forth with these new buildings. In this moment, there's a certain demand for container ships.
1: I would go one small step backwards, have been seen in the figures, because we have in certain areas an overaging of the fleet, especially in the vessel size below 10,000. And we have seen since 2018 a really low scrapping value. So in this regard, would we'll say we see a trend of vessels in two parts. That is one expanding part, that is the vessels 24,000, 15,000. There, the market over the Pacific and the Far East market are triggering this kind of enlargement of fleet. And then we were guessing everything below 10,000. We will see 7,000, 5,000, and around 2,000. And that are vessels which needed because to do an overaging of the fleet. And there, we would say, in former times, you had this kind of talking about feeder vessels. Feeder vessels was then seen as 2,000, maybe 4,000. And we would say, this kind of wording is wrong. We would say, we see trading area. I will give you an example. One would be a vessel which is for the North European area. If you want to go in the Baltic area, you need, need an ice glass. Otherwise, you are not be able to operate in the wintertime. If you're going over... In the way of South America, you would need reefer capacity. You are transporting quite a lot of fruits. If you're going from oceanic area to the Asian part, you would see even there a huge demand of food and vegetables and meat stuff. So there even you would need a high reefer capacity. So therefore, we see more vessels designed for a specific trade. Not the layout, but really that the
0: equipment and the design of the vessel is for trading areas. That's interesting. So that means that when it comes to the resale of these vessels at a later date, they're going to have a market segment in terms of resale as well. Partial
1: yes, but there will be always, if you're looking, for example, and that is uh, if you're taking vessels up to 4,000 TU, I would compare this one with a bus system in a big town. This are running every five minutes. And then you, you have the larger vessel. This is maybe the long distance trains. And there's enough cargo for this bus system. So if you have a vessel which is fitting in the oceanic area for the South America trade, then you easily could use it in the inter-Asia part. And that is the largest area for vessels up to 4,000. But if you build a specific vessel for the Baltic area, there is even sufficient cargo in the North European area so that you could use it. But the ice class, for example, open hatch concept, this is a precondition for this area. So it's not the meaning that you could not use it in the South in the warm area, but mostly you have sufficient cargo in in that area. So resale, it's maybe not the first focus because you make your earning with the real cargo on board.
0: Looking at things in terms of sizes, so does that mean that something like the traditional Panamax size, which had almost died out, are we now going to see more ships being built of that sort of size range? Yes, and there is, I think we know in the container ship market, which is
1: not valid in other areas, the so-called cascading process. So in the past you have built large vessels which have been usually employed from the Far East Europe area and then you took the older tonnage out and have sent it over the, to the Pacific. From Pacific you was uh, switch over to some other areas. Now we're coming to an end that this kind of cascading of the Far East Europe trade is coming a little bit more to slow down. So that means you are not be able to take say younger tonnage out of that trade and bring it over the to, to the pacific and then extend this one further down. So you are building now specifically for your trading area. And that means you have in this kind of Panama sized vessel in fully overaging. They will not be any longer 32 meter beam. That will be 35, 37 meter beam vessels. Because even there we're coming back to the trading area, they never will see the Panama Canal. And if So they could use the new locks. So therefore, that is the reason why we're saying, yes, we're believing on new buildings in the size of 5,500. We will see our new buildings in the size below 4,000. But that somebody will focus on a beam of 32 meter, we are not believing this one. You are designing according to your trading area. And that means you focus on average rate of your container. You're looking on your cargo profile and you are not designing specifically for a port or draft restriction or even a lock like Panama. That means 5,500 TU capacity vessel will have totally different principle. I
0: mentioned as 10 years before. That's an interesting change. Obviously, there are a lot of new buildings coming in. Are there any highlights that you can see in terms of innovation from your perspective from some of the orders DMV is involved in? The ship owner was trusting a
1: little bit more the shipyard and the ship designer so they went over and was saying oh i need 6000 tu vessel and then the shipyard proposing something and say yep this is a look, looks uh, nice this is what you were looking for nowadays the ship owner are putting much more own engineering inside they are looking about what is really my operational profile and they have a clear focus on fuel reduction And fuel reduction, of course, once by emission, and the second one, of course, reducing the operation cost. And then they combine it with what we have before already, with this cargo profile, what they have. So in this regard, that are two main aspects. Then the connected vessel, that means there is more electronic on board, more digitalization, reduction on crew, easier maintenance. So, in this regard, the trend is definitely that ship owners are putting more engineering work before going out and sending out an outline specification. They have a clear view what they would like to have. And overall, you could say ship speed is heavily dropped. And by this one, we could see slightly shorter but wider vessels. That is a generic trend. But not a pontong style, so it's in in, in between something. Not this long, slim, uh, 280-meter vessel, 32-meter-wide beam. More medium ones, well-designed in according of cargo carry capacity. And that is even a trend, that no one is looking any longer on a nominal carrier. The so-called 40-ton
0: case is really in the focus. Okay, so there is change in the way the owners are viewing what they're ordering the sizes, and so forth. Uh,
1: yes, and you could even go say it is getting a small club. If you see the number of shipyards who are gaining this new building order nowadays and, and, and the number of owner. Uh, then we are talking about 10 shipyards uh maybe 12 who are have the line share uh, and then you have a certain number of ship owner behind maybe in the same number uh who have the largest order volume so and 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 they know uh, each other already what is what is the specific uh, request and what you could really say they have to detect what is maybe good for ship owner a it's not the design for ship owner b even you are ordering a 10,000 TU vessel, the 10,000 TU vessel of ship owner A are deviating from the ship owner B. And from outside it looks like a 10,000. But performance-wise uh, and, and and lashing-wise and so on, uh, they are deviating. And that is a key element. Uh, and, and that is, I would say, the secret of each company, of their success, uh, that they are not sharing this kind of knowledge, except with companies
0: who are supporting them, like us. That's quite an interesting trend. As you say, from the outside we just see an order for a 10,000 TU ship and don't really think much of it. Yeah, because TU capacity is no meaning about the real cargo carry
1: capacity. Uh, and that is, uh, There are large deviation inside.
0: Moving on from the size and dimensions of these vessels, another area at the moment there is a lot of focus is on emissions for container lines. With both regulatory pressure as well as from customers of the lines. One of the things we've got coming up from the IMO is the EEXI. I am just wondering from a DMV perspective, are container ship owners ready for this? And are they geared up for it? They are fully aware what is
1: it. And you, you could group these container ships in, in two parts. The container ships which have been built already under the EEEDI regime. For them, it's really easy. Uh, they look about which kind of EEDI I have, and then they know which kind of EEXI requirement is. Uh, really easy to solve. It's just comparison of two uh, figures. And there you could say that most of them are already uh, fair fulfilling this one, uh, or with a really marginal and not without any impact on operating uh, by downcutting the engine load so uh, you could could say that most vessels who have been built then from uh, 2018 onwards are quite or key laying are quite uh, in the range and then you have the ship owner who have not be ordered before the eedi requirement and, and that should be out never be underestimated that is the first time that the imo are not granting the so-called grandfather law <laughs> Where you have built your ship, it will rest up to the end of your life. Now you have to fulfill with your existing vessel a regulation of a keeling of April next year. So that is at least when uh, when you look about a tonnage over 120,000 tons dead weight, right? because there are some deviation below. So and in this regard, this ship owner are already now calculating what is my EEDI. Uh, which they didn't know before when they have ordered this vessel. And there, of course, some designs uh, need a certain adjustment. The most adjustment will be then uh, engine power reduction. And what should be not auch underestimated, this kind of, if you want to call it, older tonnage. There, a lot of ship owner already have invest in retrofitting a bulbous bow, uh, exchanging the propeller, uh, downgrading the engine, downcut of the turbocharger. So uh, now, for this ship owner, the real payback is coming. Sometimes seven, eight years afterwards that they have done this kind of conversion, now the real payback is coming. Because this kind of vessels are even quite often fulfilling immediately the EEXI. So, in this regard, yes, at least our owners, which we have in our fleet, are fully aware about this one and working on it. And in the most cases, they are be able to fulfil it.
0: Okay, so overall, it's quite a positive picture. Obviously, you've done a lot of work to make your vessel more efficient in the past. It sounds like it's going to pay off. It, definitely and and, and, and that, look that
1: is your solutions which are now offered if a ship owner are not fulfilling this kind of requirement. Let's see what you could do and quite often line optimization, different propeller and so on is then a solution that you could still operate the vessel on a certain ship's speed. And if you have done it already eight years ago, now uh, you pick up the fruits one time again. <laughs>
0: Obviously that's in the next two to three years. And then going forwards, we've got the targets for 2030 for admissions. Listeners should note, this discussion took place one week before the MEPC 76 meeting. Jan yeah, no love, what do owners of the current fleet have to do to meet that target? The right
1: answer will be maybe next week, because then we know what IMO uh, is agreeing on if we are have to follow the more stronger tractory line or this more softer one, but both are challenging and, and and both are already really helpful to contribute to a CO2 reduction worldwide. so in this regard, both target lines are going fully in the right direction. The only one is of course for shipping that you have to improve every year (laughs) and that is of course a challenge in this regard we should not underestimate fuel because if you're looking in 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 the real cii calculation then you have your annual transport work this is the cargo what you are transporting from a to b and the second one it is your total emission and that is depending on your distance, fuel or consumption, and then the largest lever factor. It's the fuel itself, which could uh, bring something in. So, for a new building, and this I would now really to highlight, for a new building, you could calculate already now the prediction how to operate the vessel 20 years later after delivery. And that should be a design criteria to be always under the trajectory line. The only aspect is that IMO is making the life of ship owner really difficult because they are not giving any indication what happened after 2030. But if I want to order a vessel now, it will be delivered maybe in 23, 24, then it's only six years old. As a ship owner, have to guess what will happen. So, and my guessing must be, it will get only more stricter. (laughs) So then you could get an indication what you have to do. And then you have the ship owner who will have a vessel in the age close to 20 years. So then maybe you could operate the vessel slower to fulfill every year this kind of uh, further reduction. And maybe some vessels are over 20 years, by 22 years, 25 years, then maybe you could already plan now that you have to replace this vessel. Our guessing is that each vessel we find a solution and that there's a replacement need for certain older tonnage. The first one, a regulator is telling you between 2023 and 2030. So over seven years, we give you a prediction what happened. In between, we tell you what we will do after 2030. So if you take, for example, this Um, option one and option two. And if if you just would extend this kind of grading, then you could at least get a feeling what will happen after 2030. So, but on on one hand, you are a little bit blind what you should do.
0: Coming back to something you mentioned a bit earlier there, and that is fuel type. Obviously, that is something you can potentially change. And we're seeing new fuels under development. And one that we have in existence at the moment, which quite a number of container ship owners are opting for, is LNG. Do you see that as providing a pathway despite the uncertainty you've just described? Yeah, but that, that is auch, um, a clear philosophy, uh, what you have to
1: make up. And there, we uh, have a clear standpoint. If we're doing nothing, then we're only talking. And if we're only talking, then we will not reach any target. Nobody should underestimate a 25% reduction with an LNG-operated vessel. This is a huge gaining. And with this kind of fuel, you would be able to be at least, even after 2030, under a tractory line. When we take this kind of case, option one in the beginning and option two in, in later on. Then with LNG, you could operate your vessel 22 years without any problem. So that should be considered. That is a, a clear saying. In between, um, IMO uh, I would maybe have to work with the total industry outside together to look about bio-LNG, because there is bio-LNG production there, and that uh, um, shipping will get maybe a fair share out of this kind of bio-LNG. And then uh, the main aspect is if you have vessel totally laid out, a combustion engine, generator, and so on, who will be able to burn fossil LNG, you could use the same system for bio-LNG. And you could use the same system even for synthetic LNG. So that means there, the total industry needs to produce uh, greenhouse gas free fuels. And there is no other option in this moment. If you're talking, for example, about methanol, then we must say the present methanol is fossil methanol. So this has only a reduction of 8% CO2. And sufficient green methanol production is far not being seen so that this is sufficient for the whole maritime industry. So in this regard, um, LNG is the most promising bridging fuel, what we call it. But bridging means even there is a possibility to produce green LNG. And then you are far
0: above 20 years. And you could operate this vessel 40 years if you want. As you say, green fuels don't exist yet. One thing that has been brought up on a number of occasions related to LNG is methane slip. How much of a concern does DMV see with this?
1: The first one is, of course, that there is a lot of misinterpretation inside. Methane slip is existing. Absolutely clear, it is uh, quite heavily for low pressure main engine existing. The only difference is that sometimes in the press, uh, a kind of 25 years prediction will be combined with a 100-year prediction. Uh, and, and then you mess it up, uh, combining uh, CO2 emission from LNG and, and, and methane slip uh, in a non-correct technical manner and in a not correct uh, judgment. Uh, but what is our guessing, the methane slip, will be definitely included in the CII requirement by the next version. So uh, everyone should be aware um, that this one will be converted to a CO2 emission and then be in the requirement latest after of 2030. So uh, therefore, everyone who is operating an, an LNG vessel should com- c- um, consider to use equipment where nearly zero methane slip is existing. That is in the focus, is known. It could be solved. Technically-wise, and that is something only to be fair, be converted in a CO2 reduction and, and then you'll easily be able to calculate it inside of, um, of the CI requirement.
0: We've just seen the first converted LNG-powered container ship arriving in Germany for Hapag <laughs> like Lloyd. Is this a viable option for existing vessels or is this very much a technology for new buildings?
1: There is now the question, from which kind of point of view you would like to see it, only from a commercial one? Then, of course, the conversion costs are really high, and then you could make maybe your question mark if this is a a, a viable solution. If you are looking at it from an environmental aspect, then we are closely by the former question, if I be able to reduce an existing vessel in the CO2 emission, say by 20 or 25%, then this is a large gaining. And, and, and by switching over to a different fuel. So in this regard, yes, from an environmental point of view, it is absolutely good. Uh, if the LNG price will drop further down, far below down uh, the HFO, Then you are even be able just by the fuel price to have a payback after 12 years. That means before you you could operate maybe the last five years with profit, the vessel compared to uh, HFO and would have then your earning. And the third one is meaning in case that cargo owner would prefer a green transportation, then you could offer this transportation. And the last lever, and that should be even not underestimated, if we consider the first topic, what we were saying, a really good new building market. If you would like to have a vessel operating on LNG, then conversion are much quicker than new building. And you're going on different shipyards for this one. So if you would really want to convert, for example, in a 15,000 TU vessel or a 20,000 TU vessel, you are be able to do it and have it next year try to have a new building on LNG. You will have it in 23 or maybe in 24 more. So that means retrofit is even that you are faster to gain maybe your own target in a company to reduce your emission of your total fleet by a fuel switch.
0: Okay, so it's not just a simple commercial question then. It's a fairly complex question of exactly what the company is trying to achieve.
1: Yeah, and another aspect is, of course, a certain reduction on cost is possible if more vessels would be converted because this kind of pre engineering would be reduced in cost. Equipment cost would be slightly even reduced because a main engine manufacturer who could sell, I, I would just say 100 retrofit packages, they will give you a credit. But if they have only to build one retrofit package, this is more expensive. This is naturally. So if we would see more retrofits, then actually the retrofit costs drop down. And that is even a message. And that should be not underestimated.
0: So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with this. It's not as straightforward as I imagined. Something for our listeners to look out for is what decisions people make on this. I'd like to come back a bit to the current state of the market we were talking about at the start of this podcast and the unprecedented boom in container shipping. One of the things we're seeing as a result of that is that ships are running completely full, with maximum stack heights and so forth. Does this present any particular challenges in terms of safety? We have
1: seen this kind of statement quite often in the press. I would ask you, if you're coming in the airplane and all seats are booked, are you leaving the airplane and say, oh, my goodness, it's fully booked. Uh, is it safe? No, I, I would guess you still stay in the airplane and would say, oh, it has been designed that everyone is sitting on one chair. Uh, and the same is for container ships. They are designed for operating in North Atlantic in winter condition by for 12 fully loaded so that is the design criteria so we have seen statement from private organizations in europe who are saying vessels have been designed for far east europe trade this is totally wrong ships are designed for north atlantic winter condition including the lashing system so uh, you, you never make any credit that maybe a ship is lower loaded so uh, therefore the ships are laid out for this one and are designed for this one and then the next one is of course you have always to look on 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 the on the draft of the vessel Still, the vessels are not operating on full draft. That means there's even a lot of empty boxes on top of the vessel. And even there, it is calculated that there is cargo inside. So in this regard, there is, uh, that vessels are fully loaded. This is a design criteria.
0: That is there. Therefore, they are built. And no, there's no safety issue. Indeed it is. And it's obviously good for business as well. So it's good to see. Sticking to the size question we've got the 24,000 teu container ship now is that as big as we can go is there anybody looking to go any larger economy of
1: scale it's always a matter as a question before if a vessel is good loaded economy of scale it's even more counting and and and, and that is maybe one reason why a good loaded ship is also designed for this one uh, and even for If you would say I would go from 24,000 to 13,000, still the argument on economy of scale will be valid. So you are reducing your operation cost and and that is usually fuel oil cost. And fuel oil cost means less emission per container. So uh, economy of scale is even a matter if the vessel is good loaded that you have a lower emission per transported container. So that would be the first uh, aspect that it is logical to think about to enlarge. But now is the question, are there any restrictions? And the first restriction is the Suez channel. And now please don't think about what happened at the beginning of, of, of the year. It is the length of the vessels operating through the canal is 400 meters. And then the uh, canal have a relationship of your width according to draft. If your vessel is going larger, you have to reduce your draft that means if you will build now a container vessel more than 61 meter beam you have to restrict your draft and then you could not load enough cargo on your vessel so that means if you would like to go larger than 24000 then this would be vessels maybe who have to operate around africa uh, because otherwise you could not fully load them to pass the suez Channel. and and that by by the given restrictions so in this regard, it's not really logical to extend or to build larger than the present 400 meter long vessel and 60 meter wide, or you're going around Africa. And this we could not see. So therefore, in this moment makes a prediction, as long we have this kind of important trading area, the Suez Channel, it's like the Panama Locks, uh, there is no reason to go bigger. So that's
0: kind of solved the size question then. 24,000 TU, 400 meters in length, and 60 meters beam is going to be the current maximum because of the trading patterns. If you find another fuel which is totally green, totally cheap,
1: and they're trading around Africa, it's not counting, then we would say immediately the ships will get larger.
0: If that utopian vision on fuel happens, that'll be great. Removing size from the equation, Could you tell our listeners what DMV thinks the future container ship will look like when we move into 2030?
1: The first one, what we are believing is that we see more fully autonomous ships. Uh, And and please don't compare this one with unmanned ships. Uh, We would definitely say it's more autonomous. We would see that the ship is totally integrated in a kind of digital world where cargo planning and cargo storage is maybe slightly more improved in regarding on when you're arriving in the port that everyone knows already what happened with the container in the lowest corner uh, and and, and that then this kind of supply chain is smoothened even more because we could see still today vessels have a waiting time, and not in a port, waiting time to arrive in the port of 8%. This 8%, we would guess, is a challenge to go down to maybe to 2 or 1%, as much as possible. And that means this kind of pre-planning of operation will be definitely stay in the focus. And that means that the ship itself, it's a fully integrated part in the whole logistic chain in a more digital way to reduce this kind of waiting time. Because 8%, it's, in our opinion, still too high. And we know it from shipping companies that they are auch even not happy about this one. And most aspect behind, it's not in the responsibility of the shipping companies. It's a port restriction that the port is saying, sorry, the berth is not ready for you. Uh, you have to wait uh, maybe a half day uh, before you could enter in the, in the port. And this is because liner, uh, that the cargo flow is not constant. Today, your 15,000 TU vessel will come with 8,000 boxes, which needs to be loaded and unloaded. The next one have even declared 8,000, but actually it's 12,000 or more. And this kind of prediction, this will be uh, much more integrated in operating of the ship. So there we see the largest gaining in, say, autonomous ship. That is everything around the uh, the engine room. But then that the ship itself is connected to the transport chain.
0: So a much more connected and technologically advanced vessel. Yep. Yeah. So
1: that maybe uh, automatically somebody is slowing down the vessel because uh, already, for example, the vessel is coming from Asia and a port in 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 north part of uh, Europe knows, oh, I will have in one week a delay already. And he's maybe connecting the vessel already and say, please stop down already now, go a half knot lower, slower. And then similar as you see it on the airplane route, uh, you know exactly when you're arriving. Uh, so that this kind of prediction, it's then already done maybe one week earlier or four days earlier, so that you could counteract instead of waiting, you reduce your ship speed or whatever it is.
0: So, we can look forward to a future of a much smarter ship that is therefore more efficient and more environmentally friendly. It is definitely that, that will be,
1: and that uh, if you're looking on each homepage of a global liner company, reduced
0: emission is goal number one. I think that's taken me through all the questions I have for you today. It's been fascinating. Is there anything you'd like to add to round up?
1: The only one what we are believing and is not only for container ships, but container ships needs the largest fuel amount is that this kind of green fuel is something which could be not only solved by the maritime industry. IMO have to force and line up with other industry partners worldwide that this kind of topic will be solved in a fully different level. I quite often compare it if I need electrical power at my home, I'm not building up in my garden a windmill. I have to go in this way that my power supply company will ensure that I be able to get green Energy in my house. So and that is the same. A ship owner could not start to uh, invent uh, in 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 green fuel and invest in companies to produce green fuel. I think here IMO needs definitely to wrap up and to solve this problem together. Of course, not to push it to this different area, but I think ship owner needs here a much higher
0: support. Thank you very much, Jan Olof, for taking the time to appear on the maritime podcast. And thank you for listening and stay safe. Thanks for that.